God is good if you are here and you are high on the hog, right? You are high on the mountain. It's the best time of your life. I got good news for you. Jesus loves you, saves you, and still has work to do in your life. Amen? If you are at the lowest point that you've ever been, if you are literally walking through the valley of the shadow of death this morning, I have good news for you too. There is encouragement and grace and hope for you in the name of Jesus Christ and his gospel. Don't you love being part of the church? God speaks through his word to all of us no matter where we're at. And if, I just want you to know, man, if things are good, it's Christmas time, you're singing carols, the family's all together. Man, this is just going to be more gospel encouragement for you this morning. But if you are saying, Brent, I barely made it to church and I am hanging in like a loose tooth, I really feel like you are going to be encouraged this morning in the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you got your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. We're going to read it together, beginning in verse 10. I actually made it through all the verses with second service last week. First service, I had to start way back up at verse 3, because we didn't get very far with them. That's, that's, the, that's why you come to second service, right? By second service, I got it figured out about what I should say and what I shouldn't say. First service is just, you know, we'll, we'll see where it goes. But let's read verses 10 through the end. We're going to finish up the book of 1 Corinthians. We've been in this, this book since February of last year. And man, hasn't this been something else? I mean, we start out with good gospel presentation. I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God unto salvation. But then we move into, but there's some worldly wisdom in the church and it's fighting against the wisdom of God and it needs to stop because it's bringing divisions into the church. You guys are fighting over leaders. You're fighting over a lot of stuff. You got sexual immorality rampant in the church. You're gonna have to take care of those issues. You're suing one another. I mean, come on, guys, and, and on and and on we moved uh, through 1 Corinthians with these issues this church was having. But remember how it started off with that gospel piece. Paul says, right, is the church a perfect place? Of course it's not. Paul opens up, I know you guys are Christians. You have been made saints, not of your own doing, not through your work, but by the grace of God. And he's going to continue. All this stuff we're going to be talking about is going to continue to build you up in your faith and mature you in your faith in Jesus Christ. There's a lot of instruction in Christian life. The Bible's constantly. In fact, I tell people all the time, if you can read the Bible and walk away thinking you're awesome, you need to go back because you read it wrong. It's a lot of instruction, man. We are, we are, we're, we're people. <laughs> we are people, each and every one of us, and we need God's help. And I hope this book has encouraged and helped you grow in your faith in Christ this year. Let's, let's, we're going to finish it now. Let's start at verse 10. When Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you, for he is doing the work of the Lord as I am. So let no one despise him. Help him on his way in peace, that he may return to me, for I am expecting him with the brothers. Now concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to visit with you. I strongly urged him to visit you with the other brothers, but it was not at all his will to come now. He will come when he has opportunity. 
Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. Now I urge you, brothers, you know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia, and they, were, they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. Be subject to such as these, and to every fellow worker and laborer. I rejoice at the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus, because they have made up for your absence, for they refresh my spirit as well as yours. Give recognition to such people. The churches of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Prisca, together with the church in their house, send you hearty greetings uh, in the Lord. All the brothers send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Our Lord, come. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we love you this morning. Thank you, Father, that you want to speak to each and every one of us through your word sitting in this room. None of us are here by accident. You brought us all here under your sovereign will to speak into our lives. And we need you to speak into our lives. Father, take these verses now and build us up the, the way that only you can. Father, I pray for grace and the right words to share your gospel. It is in Jesus' name. Every Christian said, amen. Now, as we read through there, some of you might be thinking, and this is, this is very common among the letters of Paul as he ends a letter. He just starts mentioning a lot of names. And, and so many times in our study of the Bible, these are easy things for us, especially if we're young in the Lord. These are easy things. They don't really speak to us. We don't know these people. It's really easy to skip over. But what I hope to share with you today is the love that Paul has for the people in these churches that he plants how he misses them, how he longs to see them. We saw last week that his intention, he said, I can't promise the Holy Spirit may have other ideas. I told first service, because we had to start a little earlier, the Celtic Christians had a, a word for the Holy Spirit. They called him in Glas. That means, and it doesn't sound very flattering, but it's actually kind of awesome. Uh, in Glas means the wild goose. So not, not, probably not the way that we would speak of the Holy Spirit today, uh, but more ancient Christians did because the Holy Spirit was constantly leading and guiding and you think you're going here, but then you see this guy on the corner over here and all of a sudden you've got that thing in you where I need to go and talk to, about, to that guy about Jesus. That's, that's, that's the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives as he leads us and he guides us day by day. So Paul didn't say, I'm definitely coming, but he, he did say, I intend and I long to come and I hope I can stay all winter with you. Paul loves the people. Paul rejoices in these people. These people are traveling to see Paul where he's at, and that is greatly encouraging him in the, in the effective ministry that we saw he was uh, in in verse 9, but had many adversaries uh, tied to it. How many of you know if you're constantly in some kind of fight, and you know you're, you're proclaiming that you're, you're doing the right thing, you're, you're fighting the good fight, you're the mom at home with the two bags of uh, laundry, and you're right, it's your calling to, uh, to take care of your family and nurture your children, and you're doing all that, that you can do, but just, man, things keep falling apart and things keep growing. Isn't it nice to get that phone card, to have that visit? Probably not somebody, we don't really show up at people's houses, Houses anymore and knock on the door. 
that gets kind of weird. But isn't it nice for a good friend to say, hey, can I come by and let's grab a cup of coffee? And isn't it just encouraging to be with a good sister or a good brother in the Lord in those times? Paul's encouraged by these people. They want to be with him. He wants to be with them. And he remembers them and he honors them by remembering them and, and wants the churches to recognize these good servants of Christ Jesus. There is a real familial that means a family, all right? Because God calls us the family of God. We are brothers and sisters together in the Lord. We're to treat one another in this way. And Paul is doing all this work in all these different places, but he wants interconnectedness uh, through these churches. He wants this church to know this church and this church to send help to this church. And he, he, he wants uh, them to see the larger scope of the kingdom of God. It's not just us four and no more. God's doing a lot of good work in people's lives all over the place. And the more we can connect with brothers and sisters, the more enriched our life becomes. We learn that from the, uh, of the Apostle Paul uh, at the end of his letters, uh, like 1 Corinthians chapter 16. So let's start with verse 10. When Timothy comes, now we know a lot about Timothy. We know in Acts chapter 16, Timothy is this, is this young man. He's well known uh, in the area he's from. He's with his grandmother and his mother. Uh, and there are strong Christian women uh, in, in the church. And, and when Paul sees this guy, he knows. Because uh, not everything works out for Paul all the time. Paul had just kind of had a spat. Uh, with uh, his, the people he went on his first missionary journey with. Uh, John Mark and Barnabas. Uh, John Mark was the cousin of Barnabas. But, uh, you know, they were sent out in chapter 13 from the church in Antioch to, to go on this missionary journey and plant these churches. But the spat happened, and we don't really know what the spat was. But most people think John Mark was from a wealthy family, and life on the road, he just couldn't handle it. So he kind of wanted to give up mid-journey, and, uh, and that infuriated Paul. Because, again, Paul, he's like, I got to go to the next town to take the next beating. Right? Uh, well, if I have, it's been three days since I've been stoned. We need more effective ministry for the gospel. John Mark is a little too soft is what most scholars think. But we're not really sure. Uh, the good news is sometimes Christians have spats. But there was reconciliation. We know that happened between Barnabas and, and John Mark and Paul. That happened a little later. But, but Paul's looking for people to help him on his journeys. And when he sees Timothy, there's just one of those things. The light bulb comes on. The Holy Spirit does his work. And Paul taps this guy to come along with him. And Paul uses him. Paul trusts him to send letters that he writes to different churches. Paul trusts him to stay in places and put things in order um, like he did, does for a long time in the church of Ephesus. Uh, he, he trusts this guy. He's, he's poured into Titus or Timothy, Titus too. Uh, he's poured into Timothy. He calls Timothy a, a true son in the faith. He put his arms on Timothy and he said, what I do, you can do, and I'm going to teach you everything that I can. That's who Timothy is. He is a, one of the most trusted that we know of, faithful helpers to Paul in ministry. Timothy got two books of the Bible written to him personally by Paul, uh, encouraging him in the gospel work that Paul had sent him out to do. So we know quite a bit about him. So Paul mentions him here and he says, when Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you. 
For he is doing the work of the Lord as I am. So let no one despise him. And that word despise can also uh, be translated, let no one look down on him. Now, why is Paul concerned about this happening? Well, first off, some of the things we learn about Timothy from 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy is that, that Timothy is a young guy. He's much younger than some of the other people that Paul has brought into his ministry endeavors. Uh, in fact, he's so young, he's constantly encouraging Timothy. Hey, let no, he uses this same word despise to Timothy. Let no one despise you or look down on you because of your youth. I've taught you the God, you know the gospel. Minister the gospel. We also know that Timothy is not only young, but he's a bit more frail. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, Paul says, hey, it's okay. Every day, and he was a spiritual guy. Uh, it's okay to drink a little wine for your constant ailments and for your stomach issues. Uh, so, so he's a sick, Timothy's a sickly guy. Uh, a lot of scholars talk about from his youth and the pressure of ministry and being tapped by Paul and all the things. I mean, he's traveling at a young age. He's going to all these places where people are expecting answers from him. Uh, he was probably dealing with uh, some anxiety issues causing ulcers because anxiety can cause ulcers. And all right, so we don't know if that's true or not, but we know he was young and we know he was frail and he had constant stomach ailments. So, so it all kind of fits together. So what is Paul doing out of love for Timothy, who he's now sending to Corinth? Remember the kind of church Corinth is. They are a saved people by the grace of God, but they got lots of maturing to go. Lots of division, lots of infighting. Right? Paul's hoping this letter will, will cure some of that. But at the end here, hey, I'm sending Timothy to you. Don't look down upon this guy. I need you to help this guy. Paul, I mean, talk about being sent into the fiery furnace. Well, how, how would you like it if I took one of our interns and said, intern, you've been doing a great job here for six months. I'm going to send you to Chad, Africa to plant a church. Right, that's the kind of insecurity that, that Timothy is feeling. Uh, just, you're going to send me where to do what? Paul, I love you, but I'm not you, man. I haven't been doing this as long as you have. I, I, didn't, I wasn't raised to be this, this orator and, and this scholar that, like you were, this Pharisee of Pharisees. So Paul is, and don't, can you not appreciate this about Paul? He is easing the way as he sends a trusted servant whom he loves and calls a son to a very jacked up church. They're getting better, but there's still a lot of jacked up in the church. He's sending Paul into the lion's den. And so he wants this church to know, hey, listen, this kid is doing the same work that I do. All right, don't look down on this kid. Help this kid. I love Paul's heart for Timothy as he's sending Timothy because he has a heart for the church and he knows the church needs more leadership and more help. Help him on his way in peace that he may return to me. Hey, listen, I'm sending Timothy to you. Be good to him because I want him back. <laughs> right? I want him back in one piece. He better not come in seven different body parts. We, we've studied judges. Nobody remembers. Okay. It was 12 pieces anyway. Uh, I want him back. 
He's beloved to me. I love him. And he can serve you the same way that I served you. So be good to him. I expecting him with the brothers. Verse 12. Now concerning our brother Apollos. Now we know Apollos from 1 Corinthians. He shows up early in the book as one of the leaders of the church that people have erected a flag and put his name on. The, the, the divisions about the leadership of the church, some people had a flag that had Peter's name on it. Some people had a flag that had Paul's name on it. Some people had a flag uh, that had Apollo's name on it. Uh, and, and we meet Apollos earlier in Acts uh, ch- chapter 18. He's already in, the, he's got a gift of speaking. We know that before he even understands the gospel. He's doing some speaking, and people are really digging what he has to say. He's making sense, but he's not getting the gospel quite right. So Priscilla and Aquila sit him down. We're going to see them a little later. Sit him down and explain the gospel to him, and he becomes this just powerhouse preacher. And Corinth loved Apollos. Man, he did a mighty work through the preaching of the gospel in Corinth. The people want him to come back. And so, uh, now concerning our brother Apollos, listen to Paul's language. I strongly urged him to visit you. Paul wants them to know, I did everything I could to get Apollos back to you. (laughs) I strongly, I like to read into the words a little bit. (laughs) I strongly urged him. Here's what I see. Paul's like, it's not my fault he's not coming. Don't you love that? I mean, the Bible, these, this is real, real people in real time communicating with one another uh, by the grace of God's Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus Christ as people of the church. I strongly heard him, urged him to visit you with the other brothers. Listen to this. But it is not at all his will to come now. <laughs> uh, I did my best, but this isn't happening at the moment. Now, we can only speculate as to why. Number one, Apollos had spent a lot of time in Corinth already. And the ministry had been fruitful there. But he could be in a new place now. We don't know exactly where he is at the moment. He could be in a new place where ministry is just going well and new people are getting saved and new churches are being planned and he's just not ready to leave that work yet. It still needs some establishing. They still need some some elders to be raised up so the church can have good leadership. It could be for that reason. That's the That would be the, the best reason he couldn't come at this moment. But the language seems to suggest to me option two. And option two is Apollos is probably not thrilled that part of the divisions that are happening in this church are being caused uh, from the use of his name amongst the people. I'd like to think of Apollos as that good pastor who knows there's a lot of division there. There's a whole faction there that loves me and wants me. And if I come back, they're going to try to use me to cause more division and say, see, and I just don't want to, de- I don't think it would be good for me to go at this time and be more involved in that. I think all that needs to die down and settle down before I return for more ministry. Uh, which is why he says it was not at all his will to come now. But he will come when he has opportunity. Paul's hadn't written the church off. He wants to come back, but probably just not the right time at the moment. 
Verse 13 and 14 then show up in this list of people and places and, and travel opportunities. And, and this is some, some theological little nuggets of God's wisdom, these last little nuggets. I mean, in these two small little verses, I mean, chapter 14 is just one line, or verse 14 is just one line. There's four things, though, in chapter 13, five things all together in these little verses. Let's just read them all together, and then we'll, we'll go through them one by one. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. Let's start with be watchful. Jesus sat Peter down in Luke chapter 22, I believe. And Peter's fixing to deny his Lord three times, right? This is all before the betrayal and the rest. And, and Jesus just has this little one-on-one -on -one with Peter before all this stuff happens. He knows Peter's going to be super discouraged when he's cussing out little girls that he doesn't know Jesus. Right, this guy that's like, I will die for you. I will fight for you. He's going to deny Jesus three times. Jesus sits him down and he says, Peter, Satan wants to sift you like wheat. And then he goes on, but I have prayed for you. And, and, and there's some really encouraging things he says to him. But I, why are we commanded to be watchful? Why is Paul constantly commanding Timothy and others to be sober-minded, to keep your eyes open, to, to, to watch like uh, it's nighttime? Um, because that's when the thief comes. Right? What does it mean to be sifted as wheat? There's two ways that they were sifting uh, wheat in the ancient world. In the Old Testament, they would have a threshing floor. It was a, a stone floor where they would take wheat in their hands and uh, they, they would rub it furiously together and the chaff would begin to blow off and eventually there'd be no, not just uh, wheat left, all the chaff would be gone and they would just have the kernels. But, but to sift, it's a, it's a vigorous, it's a violent process. And by the time we get to the New Testament, they have boxes with screams and shake and right, the chaff would fall and they'd be left with the kernels. This is what, why be watchful? This is what Satan wants to do to this church. It's what Satan wants to do to Timothy and these people, Apollos and these people. It's what Satan still wants to do to us today. Satan does not like Christian maturity. Satan does not like us growing together in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Satan's going to do everything he can. He's called our adversary. He's called the accuser of the brethren in scripture. It's what he does. He tries to find any way he can to sneak into the church, to sneak into your family, to sneak into your own mind and cause confusion and cause division and cause uh, terrible things to, that happen that disunify what God is doing in the world. And Satan thinks he has the authority to do this. Why? Because we are in fact sinners. 
All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And Satan wants to sift us because he thinks he owns us in that sin. But here's the good news. God did something that removes the authority of Satan who should have possession over us. Death and hell should be our home. Uh, And Satan thinks he still has that authority. But the Lord Jesus lived a perfect life. We have not died in our place for our sins. Uh, Rose conquering sin, death, hell, and the grave. So Satan cannot sift us, which is why the command is be watchful because he's still going to try he can't he doesn't have the authority to do it any longer but he's still going to try the bible says in first peter satan prowls around depending on what translation prowls or roams around as a roaring lion notice the word as man he's he's coming he wants to destroy he wants to devour he wants to violently sift But he's not really a roaring lion. He's just prowling as one. His teeth, his fangs have been removed, his claws, right? We are under the protection and the power of Jesus Christ. And we are given uh, the ability to be watchful of his schemes, of his devices. We're going to talk about his fiery darts that he's going to be sending in a moment. The church has to vigilantly, each and every one of us, it can't just be a pastor or a couple pastors or maybe some deacon leaders or some other servant leaders. Each and every Christian is responsible to be on watch because the enemy is prowling and the enemy does want to sift as wheat. We've got to be watching so that we can recognize before something occurs that can hurt or blow up the work that the Lord is doing. Be watchful, number one. Stand firm in the faith. And just go to Ephesians chapter 6 for this and read that whole chapter in your spare time because it's all about standing firm. Like it or not, and we've talked about this before, like it or not, a battle is being waged. Satan's trying to sift. Satan's prowling around. Satan wants to destroy everything good. Everything good in the church, everything good in your life. Why? Because we were created in the likeness and image of God. And every time Satan sees you, he sees the one that ruined his dreams, visions, and plans. Uh, and sent him hurling toward the earth. Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning when he stood against uh, God our Father. He hates you. We've got to be watchful and we've got to stand firm in this battle that we're in. And here's the good news. We've been given the armor that makes us victorious. In this battle, in the trenches that we're in, the enemy's going to be advancing. But we have been given the tools we need, a helmet of salvation, that, that gospel truth. When the enemy comes, this accuser of the brethren and says, you're a sinner. You belong to me. There's no hope for you. God doesn't love you anymore. How could God love you? Look at what you've done. You can have that helmet of salvation and say, Satan, you're a liar. You've always been a liar. That's why God calls you the father of lies. I belong to the Lord Jesus, not because of my work, but because of what my God has done for me. That's the helmet of salvation that keeps us standing firm in our identity and who we belong to, who is Jesus Christ and not Satan the accuser. Amen. And that's just one of the armor. We've got a shield of faith because the darts are coming. 
But the whole point of all the belt of truth, we've got God's word. We can know that we know that we know. The shoes of readiness of the gospel of peace. We've got the shield of faith. I already said that on the breastplate of righteousness, not our righteousness, but the righteousness of Christ that covers us, atones for our sin, the sword of the Spirit. And all these tools are God's tools he gives to us that have already won the battle. It's not our armor, it's the armor of God that he has used to already defeat Satan and his minions. And he lends this victorious armor to us. Why? So when the dust clears... It's not us laying broken and bleeding on the ground. It's the enemy as we stand victorious in the armor that God has given us in his gospel. Amen? Stand firm. Right? What, what's coming at us right now all the time? That's ah, old. Religion's old. You don't need that. Blah, blah, blah. Right? There's so much deception. Right? Every, everybody in these the, the, these glorious halls that everybody wants to be a part of. I'm not talking about the church. I'm talking about uh, secular institutions. The, the glorious halls where, where the greatest and the best of, they all look down on the church. They look down on scripture. Who could still possibly believe that? Be watchful. Their end is coming. Our beginning is coming. Be watchful and stand firm in the faith. Everything that's happening right now, Jesus said would happen. Great deception. It's going to be hard even for the elect to believe. I'm going to have to shorten those days, in fact. Uh, God says that in his word. We shouldn't be surprised. We should be on guard. We should see what the Bible says is true. And we should stand firm in the faith that we have in Jesus Christ. Here's one I love. Act like men. You know, I love our church. I love our church. And just look around for a second. And praise God, you guys in suits, we love you. Praise God for you. You're going to teach us all kinds of things over the next 15, 20 years. About looking good and brushing your teeth and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> But what I love is a bunch of, of guys who are just a little more raw. They got some face tattoos, <laughs> right? some, some big arms. Right? The gospel is actually incredibly masculine. We shouldn't be surprised. It touches that heart in the soul of a man that longs for masculinity. What the world calls toxic masculinity or, or male fragility, God calls normal. <laughs> be a man. What does that mean? Unpack that, Brent. Already. Notice the command is, be a child. That's not the command. Paul's talked about Children, two times already. How do children act? How do children behave? 1 Corinthians 13, chapter 11, Paul says, When I was a child, I thought like a child. I acted like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put childish things behind me. What are children? Look, everybody who doesn't believe in original sin has never had a baby. 
Mothers, thank you for helping me out there. What are children? They come out of the womb screaming, self-absorbed, little banshee monsters. They don't care about anybody or anything. Well, actually, they do care about something. Feed me, change me, it's all about me. That's what it means to be a child. Children are selfish. I mean, we all remember school. Oh, lollipop in your mouth. I want the lollipop. Gonna take the lollipop. Nothing you can do about it. Selfish. We're constantly teaching our kids about sharing with others. Right? It's what every, it's every parent's nightmare. How do we do this? How do we keep our kid from being terrible? Because that's how we're all born, kicking and screaming, me, 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 me. So in contrast with just a, a couple chapters ago, well, what's the affirmative call to action in being a man? What are men? And it doesn't matter what PhD from whatever Ivy League school says, there's no difference. There's clear genetic, structural, skeletal difference between male and female. There just is. The Bible says it's that way. Men are stronger. Why? Because there's going to be people on this earth who are weaker, who need to be provided for and protected. That's the, the role and the call of men to protect and to provide those who are weaker. And when you have a family, your main priority is to protect and to provide for them. That's what it means to be a man. Stop thinking about yourself. I know if you just had two more weeks, you could get to that level 99 dark elf you've always wanted to be. But that's not God's plan for you in your personal life, in your family life, or in your Christian life as part of God's people. When Paul, Paul is calling these men to be looking around the church and find opportunities to serve the unfortunate, to serve the less than, to serve the bully, to serve those who are weaker. It's what it means to be a man. Men put their own needs aside. Why, why do so many guys join the military? Because it's, it's part of God's thumbprint on the life of a man to seek and to protect and to preserve, to fight for a whole and, and family and, 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 and God. It's, it's who we're called to be, each and every one of us. And, and you know it's in there. It's why I'll watch Braveheart for the 19th time. All my favorite movies, I, there's not, I don't have a favorite movie that, that's recent, but all my favorite movies are The Last Samurai. If you've not seen that, you're welcome. It's, it's, it's God's, no, you can't find a Bible verse. Yeah, Braveheart's about, no, but it is the thumbprint of God on, on that calling that he's called us to, to serve, to love, to protect, to provide. Those are all Bible verses. And men of the church, right, it is our duty, it is our job to protect and provide here. When we see foolishness, when we see, when, because we're watchful, and we're in the faith, and we see someone attacking faith, or right, it's our job to protect those around us. And sometimes it can be hard, because how many of you know? We've seen it in the news. Sometimes you're trying to protect, 
because somebody's some pagan heretic. So you, you, you become the man that God's called you to be and you try to protect, provide somehow all cameras are on you and you're the bad guy. Doesn't matter. You know your heart. You know the motivations that God has put in you to protect and provide. It doesn't matter what secular people think. It doesn't matter uh, what the enemy thinks. We do our duty regardless where the cards may fall. Be a man. Act like men, not children. That's my favorite part of this sermon, just so you know. Be strong. Some of you in this room, you say, Brent, I've tried. I just, I can't. I'm wiped. The beginning of the service, when you're talking about hanging in there like a loose tooth, that metaphor struck me right in the heart because that's exactly how I feel. I'm just barely holding on. I got good news for you today. You can be strong Why? Because Jesus Christ has already been strong for you. It's not about your strength. You're right when you say, you're right when you listen to the voice of Satan speaking into your ear, you'll never be able to do this. You're right, but someone's done it for you already and you can lean on to and trust in and believe in what he has done. This is the gospel. Look at uh, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 4. And Paul's writing this. And again, nobody got beat up more than Paul. When Paul's walking into a city, he's got to be helped, carried at times. We have this treasure in jars of clay. And by the way, that's talking about us. There's a, right, this, in this perishable body that's going to, it's corruptible. It's going to die. We talked about it in 1 Corinthians 15. Dust to dust. We, we return from, but, it, but still in this weak and frail, and I don't know if I can do it body, there is a treasure deposited in each and every Christian man and Christian woman. Don't see yourself how you see yourself in the mirror. See yourself how, what, through what God has done for you in the gospel of Jesus Christ. You're more than meets the eye. Sorry, it just popped in. I'm like, I'm not going to be able to get that out. I just got to say it. (laughs) We have this treasure to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. There is a power we have. Uh, there, uh, There is a treasure in us and it doesn't have anything to do with us, but it reflects the surpassing power of our Lord and God, our King and our Savior. Verse eight, we are afflicted in every way. Listen to me. If you're in the valley, if death is imminent, if if you're loose tooth, not gonna make it, we are afflicted in every way, but we are not crushed. Why? Because he is in victory this morning. He was crushed for us and now sits in victory. So even though we are afflicted in every way, we are not crushed. 
We are perplexed. There's times we're not going to know what to do. There's times we can't sense what the Holy Spirit is speaking to us. There's going to be times where we're just confused and it feels like our prayers are mocking us as they bounce off the ceiling and smack us in the face. But even though we're not even though we're perplexed, we are not driven to despair. There is, as long as there's breath in the body, there is hope in the work of Christ in your life, in your existence, in your family, in your career, and in our church. Amen. Are there going to be hard times? If anybody tells you there's not, they are lying. Jesus said in this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. That's, that, that's the treasure in these jars of clay that we've been given. Keep going. Persecuted. All right, one of the Beatitudes, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sakes, for they will inherit the kingdom of God. We are persecuted, but we are not forsaken. We are struck down, but not destroyed. And then we end here, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. When we are at the lowest of the lowest points, we can look up to the cross and say, Jesus knows exactly where I am. He died in my place. He took the wrath of God upon himself. He was broken so that right now, even though I feel broken, I know because he was broken, I'm not broken. I know because he was punished, I'm not punished. I know uh, he was uh, destroyed, I will not be destroyed because he did conquer sin, death, hell, and the grave. And that is my Hope, that's how I show the death of Christ and his glorious resurrection in my life. In my weakest moments, I look up to him and know that I will survive. I'm sorry, I don't know what it is. It's second service, which is always the songs. But you will. In Christ, you will. Man, we go through hard stuff. But even in our weakness, and even in our worst failures, we remember that we failed, but he came and he succeeded where we failed. Where we falter, he came and he did it all the right way. So there is always hope for us. We can be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Amen. Let all that you do be done in love. Right? We've got these strong, powerful, act like men, be strong, be watchful. But let everything be done in love. Right? If you think you see something nefarious going on, don't be the guy that just automatically judges, well, that's nefarious, and I'm going to go and pound him because I'm supposed to be a man. No, everything we do is to be done in love. Now, there are those times, we're going to talk about it if we can get to the end. There are those times to shut the door, to get the heretics out who don't love God. But most of our Christian issues with each other can be solved by doing everything we can, seasoning every word that comes out of our mouth with the love of God that we should have for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Amen? Now, 
Uh, what, what does it look like? Why, why, why is this hard for us? Why is it hard to do everything out of love? Because we are sons and daughters of our first parents, Adam and Eve. What God says to do, a lot of times we don't do. And then when God calls us out through his word or through a Christian brother or sister, what do we do? We point the finger somewhere else just like Adam did. Adam, where are you? Uh, I'm, I'm over here hiding in the bushes. God's like, why would you hide from me? I love you. I created you. I want to walk with you. I want to enjoy fellowship with you in the cool of the day. Well, you see, Lord, it's this woman you gave me. Right? Why is it so hard to, to be the loving people that God calls us to be to our brothers and sisters in Christ? Because sometimes we're the one getting blamed for how somebody else feels. And sometimes we're the ones blaming somebody else for how we feel or something we have done. Right? And we all do this. Eve did the same thing back to her husband, Cain and Abel. Same thing happens, you know, uh, to them. And it's always something else, and it's always somebody else's fault. And our minds get so polluted. My dad used to have a sermon when I was little. He called it, putting your mind on a diet. And I promise you, the older I get, the smarter my dad becomes. But, but he had all these illustrations. He was like, one time I walked into a room. He was like, and everybody in the corner was laughing. But when I walked in and looked at him, they stopped laughing. What do you think I thought? <laughs> what we all think. They're laughing at me. This is that be watchful. Satan wants to plant deceit in our minds. And I know this because he's done it to me. I have been so angry with people. And then you sit down and you start talking to people and you realize that you have built a case against them in your mind that is not true and it's unfair. Uh, and they're sitting there going, what are you talking about? And, the, and that's when I feel, man, I really botched this. <laughs> I spent three weeks thinking about how terrible a person you are. Uh, and so therefore I couldn't come to you in the love that I'm supposed to. I'm wrong. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. But we all do this. Several years ago, I created a document uh, called Controlling the Narratives We Construct in Our Minds. If you want it, I'll send you a copy. But every one of us do this. It's how we blame others. Anytime we're hurting, I don't know if you know, have ever heard this statement, but if somebody comes at you, right, and it's just, where's this coming from? Hurting people hurt other people. Again, I know this is true because I've done it in my life. I've had to repent of this stuff. We should all be thankful to see this in our lives, to be able to repent of this stuff so that we can act in love, not in vengeance, not in strife, not in, uh, self, uh, not, not in selfishness, not in self-righteousness. I mean, you can't just write online anytime you want, if you don't send your kids to public school, then you're not a Christian. Right? Brother, you've judged a lot of people who are Christians in saying something crazy like that. And it's not because it's true, but you've built a narrative in your mind that you believe is true. But in reality, it's not true. We all do this. We all blame others. Anytime we have bad stuff going on in our lives, we want to find somebody we can point a finger at and say, it's your fault for how I feel. How do we change that about ourselves? 
Because again, some of you are sitting there, he's talking to me. I'm not talking to you, I'm talking to everybody. Because <laughs> we all do this, including me, including the elders of this church. We all do this. But we can get better at not doing it. How? By renewing our minds. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. That's Romans chapter 12, verse 2. How, how do we get better at renewing our minds? By thinking about the right things. If I walk into the hallway after church and I see a guy on the wall shaking his head like this, I'm going to go, he thinks my sermon was bad. <laughs> and then I could walk away and go, who does he think he is to judge my sermon anyway? <laughs> you laugh because you've done it. <laughs> and then we might do some Facebook stalking. Did you see what he said three weeks ago? I bet that's about me too. And all of a sudden we hate this guy. And he's the problem and the pariah. We've all done it. How do we stop doing it? Philippians 4.8, let's put that on. Here's a great strategy if you're having those mental struggles, those negative thoughts that constantly seem to pervade our minds. If you're having those blaming thoughts where you're just trying to find somebody to punch in the face because you feel bad about your life and you want to blame somebody. Here's a great verse for you to change the trajectory because I promise you that's not going to take you anywhere good. I've been there, done that. I've suffered under it. Please understand, it doesn't get better until renewing of the mind happens. That's, why do so many divorces end with, with no possible ability of reconciliation? Because the walls have been built too high. It doesn't matter that the walls aren't true. Oh, they've got voices of truth and channels of truth, but so much human baggage and blame has been placed on top of them. It's just There's no hope. If you're in your life right now, man, you've just, you've got it out for somebody or, or you're hurt so you want to hurt somebody or, or you're blaming all your problems on your boss or a coworker or whatever the situation is. Here's how to become a more healthy, gospel-loving, God-centered person who doesn't have to deal with the negative thoughts and the, the mental pariahs that just bring us down and keep us feeling defeated. Renewing the mind, how? Brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honor. If I walk out in the hall and that guy's laughing and I think, he did, or shaking his head and he didn't like my sermon, is that, is that true? It may be, but I don't know it's true. I do know God's good, that's true. That's what I'm going to think about instead. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is anything excellent. Problem with people is we're, we're trying, you know, the, Jesus said, seek and you will find. So if you go into your office tomorrow and you really want to find something on Susie, who is the supervising whatever secretary, and you just really, you know what? I don't like her. I'm going to find something to kill her with. It's not going to take you long if you drag a comb through somebody's life to find something you don't like. But that's not how the Christian's supposed to think. We're not trying to fine-tooth comb everybody to find something that we think is wrong with them. No, we're thinking about what is lovely. What's good about them? 
You want to save your, you want to purify your soul? Try to find good things where you, that you can exhort others and encourage others in. If there's anything excellent, and there is. Is there bad stuff in all of us? Yep. But are we doing some good work too in Jesus' name? Yep. If there's anything excellent, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about, it's mental, think about these things. Our minds are our own worst enemies. Every conflict you've ever had with another person, at some point there was a snake egg that got into your mind that escalated and elevated the tension between you and they. And just like I've told you for 15 years, when it comes to marriage especially, everybody just look at your spouse right now and say, I'm part of the problem. Right? Because we all are. We all are. Amen? The only way to do everything out of love is to renew our minds. See the best in people, not the worst. That way we can live out 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the way that God wants us to treat one another. I'm past time. There's, there's always one that's like, go ahead. And there's like four people over going, oh, no. <laughs> Let's just lump 15 to 18 real together because it's about this first family. They got baptized. They were the first converts. And Achaia Paul loves these people. They were the first converts. Right? They, they, they were the first people that joined the church, believed in Jesus. And they've come to visit Paul, and Paul sent them back. And the, everybody's so encouraged by their work. Paul says, it's right. Look at verse 18. Give recognition to these people who are serving Jesus well, who are serving me well, who are serving the church as well. Give recognition to these people. I want to tell you a story because some people just, they, they don't want to give recognition to any person because they think somehow it's unspiritual you can only give uh, glory to God you can only give recognition to God Paul would say otherwise Paul would say it honors God when we recognize people who are serving well when we recognize fruitful effective people who are ministering in the church are doing well we should be like hey good job in, in our staff we have something called the point I told you about it a few weeks ago I won't belabor but we start staff meeting out every Sunday tr trying to find what did I see you do that was good because I want to encourage you. I want to recognize you for that good work that you did. That's not unspiritual. That's not ungodly. That's actually a very godly thing to do. And it also helps your mind from being poisoned when you're looking for the good in others and not the bad. Amen. Moving on. Churches of uh, Priscilla and Aquila. Ladies, this verse is for you. Six times, this, these are the greatest small group leaders in the New Testament church. Just know that. They're a powerhouse, couple team that's uh, having church in there. They've got a church meeting in their home. But everywhere they go, from Rome to Corinth where they met Paul, to Ephesus where they followed Paul, um, six times they're mentioned by name. Ladies, four times. Uh, Priscilla, the wife, is mentioned first. Here's what that means. Everybody in the churches loved this woman. And this is who, this is one of those, those women in the Bible. JL, I think, is one of them for you. We, need, we want you to be godly women that will put a tent spike through a guy's skull if called upon. Okay? Priscilla's probably better. She, <laughs> 
She loves, she's, she's Titus 2. Just write down Titus 2 and look at it. She is the epitome of the woman they're speaking about in Titus 2. She loves the church. She loves the people. And everybody sees her as the mother of the church. Everybody sees her as the person they can go to for encouragement, for, for help, for prophecy. She could speak the oracles of God rightly into people's lives. Uh, just know this is a wonderful woman for you to study, to know what a godly woman is and how a woman should act in the church. She's well-loved. You got time for a holy kiss? Ooh, we got to get some controversy in here. Greet one another with a holy kiss. This really isn't all that hard to understand. Now, there are some places in the world where people still kiss as a form of greeting. In the Middle East, oh, I, I had a mission trip to Bulgaria. I, got, I was able to preach and minister to a lot of church planners from Sofia all the way to the Black Sea. We did the whole country of Bulgaria in a week. And guys, you know me, so I think you'll be able to hear this the right way, but I've never had so much man slobber on my face in my life. Everywhere we went, Look, and is there anything wrong with that? Of course not. It's been a form of greeting since ancient times. But would it be a little weird if you walked into Four Points and grabbed Dan here on the front row and went, mwah, 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 mwah. So then we'd be like, what, what's going on? Right? It's just not how we do things here anymore. What, so what are some forms of greeting that show brotherly and familial love to one another? Man, we hug. Uh, we're huggers here. We finally converted Daniel Purnell <laughs> to the hug. <laughs> um, but you don't have to hug. If you've got space issues, just you know, shake a hand. We, that's okay too. But just know we're family here. We're brothers and sisters together. I, Paul, write this, and we'll end here. I think the next verse is really important too, but let's end here. I write this greeting to you in my own hand. Now, we know Paul is not writing this whole letter. Chapter 1 begins that Sosthenes is there with Paul, and he's the one. Paul's dictating, and Sosthenes is writing the letter. Again, because Paul has a lot of problems physically because of all the beatings he took. We know one of those problems was his eyes. He told the Galatian church, look what big letters I'm writing to you. But when, when Paul wants these last personal statements about these people that he loves and he's encouraged by and he wants to uh, recognize in the church, he's like, I'm writing this with my own hand. Look, you can tell this is not Sosthenes writing anymore. This is me. I just want you to know I love you. And that is the heart of this apostle that God has raised up to serve the churches. And I, I want it to be, you know, none of us can stand up and say, I'm just like Paul. Because then you're just a, a proud, arrogant jerk, right? <laughs> I can't remember. Oh, it doesn't matter. Oh, it was Tom Haberford and Parks and Rec. I'm so great at being humble. Right? The minute you say you're humble, it proves that you're not, Right? But we can all say, as we see Paul's heartfelt love for these people and for the work of God in their lives, we can all say, this is what I want to aspire to be like. It's why Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. I aspire, our elders are aspiring to be, to have this kind of heart in ministry. Our, our leaders and, and every Christian in the room should aspire to have this kind of love for the church and for the people, the brothers and sisters in it. Let's pray. Thank you for seven extra minutes. 
Father, we love you, and your word is great. And every time we read it, it's a challenge because we have so much room to grow to be the people you've called us to be. But we are happy to be on this journey, and we look forward to the the conviction and the conversations. We look forward to how you're going to grow us into better people. Jesus, we love you because you first loved us. And even when we're down, we know we have all the hope in the world because of what your son Jesus Christ has done. It is in his name we pray. And every Christian said, amen.